Good morning. Can you hear me with this new microphone that we've got? <laughs> Brilliant. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm going to start um, by asking you a question. Can you remember the first job you ever had? Put your hand up if you can remember the first job you ever had. Yeah, it's pretty much everybody. Your first job is something you never forget. My first job, I was uh, 16 years old, and I got a job in a local petrol station and car dealership. So you can imagine, 16 years old, I'm getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning, I'm trundling down to open up the premises of this petrol station, getting the pumps ready, the shop ready, the garage ready for the mechanics to come in and so forth. A lot of responsibility, a lot of power. I had the keys to the premises. Interesting thing is that this business that I was working at was owned by a family. It was a family business. And it was being run by the third generation of the same family. And it was very well run. I mean, when a member of the family came in, everybody kind of, you know, made out they were doing something important, made out they were busy. All the mechanics and so forth suddenly stood to their attention when a member of the family came in, the bosses. But it was very well run. And now there are quite a few of those branches around the south of England, a very successful firm. A few years later, I had another job, another family business, and I was working in a warehouse, and one of my tasks was to load and unload lorries. Has anybody here ever loaded or unloaded a lorry? Yeah. A couple of, see, the ones who put their hands up are clearly have got the more athletic figures. Uh, you can see the powerhouse physique in front of you this morning is a legacy of my loading and unloading of lorries, and you'll know that when you're unloading a lorry, you're just waiting to see the beginning of that truck, box after box after box. Finally, you see where that ends, and that's a good workout, as a few of us here know now. Um, today, as we continue with our next instalment, where we're looking at the life of Samuel, the idea of and the importance of a family line and the privileges that that carries is something that we're going to be looking at in today's scripture. So, we're focusing on the family line of the house of Eli. But let's recap where we are so far in the story of Samuel. As we've been hearing in previous weeks, there was a woman of God by the name of Hannah, who was desperate for a son. She cried out to God, pleaded for him to bless her with a son, because she had no children. So God blessed her with a son. However, the key thing here is that she had made a vow to the Lord saying that if you give me a son, I will give him back to you and he will serve you all the days of his life. Incredibly, when she gets blessed with her son, she fulfills her, her vow. She keeps her promise, takes that child and leaves him at the temple where he learns to minister under the high priest, who's a guy called Eli. Now, Eli has two sons, Hophni and Phineas. But who were that family? And how come they had the right to become the priests in the temple? We have a, a slide, the next slide shows uh, a genealogy of the priests in David's time. So we've got at the very top, we've got Aaron, who was the brother of Moses. Now Aaron had been appointed by God as the original high priest. 
So the, descent, the male descendants of Aaron would have exclusive rights to burn incense and to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord. And if we look on the right-hand side, we've got Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who were descendants of Aaron from the tribe of Levi. Now, to give it some context, between, between the birth of Aaron and the birth of Eli, there was a gap of 377 years. And just to get a bit of further context, the passage that we're looking at today in Scripture is about 1,100 years before the birth of Jesus. So we're going to take a look now at 1 Samuel, chapter 2, and we're looking at verses 12 to 36 today. And we're going to be looking in a bit more detail at Eli and the behaviour of his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. So if you can have the next slide. Thanks, Peter. So 1 Samuel 2. Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Now, verses 13 to 16, I'm just going to summarise that because it goes into quite a bit of detail about the traditions and the rituals involved in offering sacrifices to the Lord. Key thing is that Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, were taking the best bits of the offerings for themselves. So they were disobeying God's command. The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Now verses, that verse 19 and verse 21 will just sort of summarise but verse 19, for me personally, is a very key, a key bit where it mentions that Hannah, every year, for the annual sacrifices, bearing in mind that she's left her child at the temple, she goes back once a year with her husband, and she makes Samuel a little robe. I first read this story when I was about 10 or 11, and that word little just pierced me. I just thought of this little child... Kind of, I had the feeling that he had been abandoned at this temple, and, and a temple being, I imagine, for a child, a cold, impersonal place, a strange place. I imagine, how did that child feel? We know how Hannah obviously felt, with this, with, as Lizzie talked about the, um, in the last sermon on this story, about Hannah's song. But what about Samuel, the child? How did he feel? <laughs> the boy Samuel did minister. And... Uh, We've got um, a, an illustration here, a, a painting, I'm not sure how clearly you, you can see that, but there is a, an old painting from 1665 by um, a Dutch painter called Gerbrand van der Eckhout, and it's in the Louvre in Paris, and it's showing Hannah dedicating the, the child Samuel to Eli the priest. What I love about this picture is the expression on Samuel, the boy Samuel in the little white robe there. He's the focal point of that, of that image. I can just imagine the confusion, the chaos, and the tears when his mum's left him there, just the kind of the heartbreak. And I was thinking, oh, Lord, that's so... Um, it kind of on the surface, it looks quite, quite cruel, really. But, but I didn't realise when I first was reading this as a, as a kid myself that actually this was part of God's plan to grow and develop Samuel and to develop that, a unique intimacy with Samuel, really, which to fulfil his later purpose. But just... To, just to, I think it's just helpful to remember that we're talking about a small child here. We don't know for sure, but he's probably about three years old at that point. So 
that's where we, where we are with that. If we could um, have the next slide, please, Peter. But we're going to just carry on reading the verses now. Now, Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favour with the Lord and with people. Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your ancestor's family when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your ancestor out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your father's house all the offerings made with fire by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honour your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that members of your family would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, those who honour me I will honour, but those who despise me will be disdained. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your priestly house, so that no one in it will reach old age, and you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done to Israel, no one in your family line will ever reach old age. Every one of you that I do not cut off from serving at my altar, I will spare only to destroy your sight and sap your strength, and all your descendants will die in the prime of life. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be assigned to you. They will both die on the same day. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his priestly house and they will minister before my anointed one always. Then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a loaf of bread and plead, appoint me to some priestly office so that I can have food to eat. Lord God, as we look at, into this passage, I pray, Lord, that you would reveal to us your truths and the lessons that we can apply to our own lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. So two points today to draw from this. Point one, God honours those who honour him. And point two, God's purpose will prevail. So in verse 30, the Lord says, Those who honour me, I will honour, but those who despise me will be disdained. Disdained may, may not be a word that we come up with that often, but it basically means to, to not be worthy of consideration or respect. And in verse 12, we're told that Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. So clearly, they were not honouring God. And what were the, some of the evidence to show they weren't honouring God was through the sins that they were committing willfully. So regarding the offerings, one of the things that they were doing was they were taking the fat of the offering, the tasty bits, and having it for themselves. All the, bits, the best bits of the offering 
which were very clearly laid out in the books of Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers, and very strict rules as to how the priests were to treat the offerings, and they were blatantly disregarding those rules and taking the best bits of the offerings for themselves. <laughs> Even when the people who came to the temples to give over their best bits for the Lord, the servant of the priest, it says, would take those best bits by force if needed. And you could just imagine the, the power that these priests had. They were the sacred ones. They were the chosen ones. No one else had the authority to administer sacrifices. So if your family wanted atonement, you would have to go via the priest to make the sacrifice. And if the, if the priest said, no, I'm, I'm taking these best bits for myself, and you said, well, no, I'm giving these to God, they could just say, well, go home then. We're not going to do the offering on your behalf. So there's a real abuse of, of, of their position. And what makes it worse, in a way, is coming from that bloodline descended from Aaron, they would have known in their family history, in their, families, uh, in their family stories they would have heard growing up, that two of the sons of Aaron actually were consumed by fire and were killed because they had disrespected the offerings of the Lord. They'd brought unauthorised offerings to God and they were consumed by fire. So these guys would have known exactly how serious this was and still they disobeyed. So they were, they were sitting with the offerings and it says that they were sleeping with the women who served at the temple. So adultery, abuse of power. Again, was there any coercion and blackmail and a, and a real, almost dis a disgraceful um, abuse of power again? And they didn't respect their father Eli's rebuke. He had told them that he was displeased with what they were doing. They just disregarded him, carried on. And thinking about, again, that child Samuel, what kind of role model were they for that boy? What kind of example were they setting? Clearly, he wasn't contaminated or affected or influenced by what they were doing. But what kind of example were they setting for that child who had been entrusted to the temple? So the sons of Eli were committing some grave, grave sins here. And what about Eli himself, their father, the high priest? He wasn't a complete villain. He had, he had prayed blessings over Hannah and her husband Elkanah for a child and, and for more children that God blessed Hannah with. And also he was teaching Samuel to minister before the Lord. So he had his good parts, but however, he was guilty of some, some grave sins here because he honoured his sons more than he honoured God. He knew what his sons were doing, had a word with them, but it wasn't really a, a strict word. He was kind of almost allowing them to... He was, well, he was allowing them to carry on with what they were doing. So he didn't discipline his sons. He had the authority to remove them as the high priest. He, he could have removed them, disciplined them, but he didn't. He let them carry on. And on top of that, the scripture says that when they were taking the choice offerings, he was, having the, he was sharing in that with them. So the sons would bring the choice offerings, and Eli the high priest would be indulging in those offerings as well. So he was really, he'd really messed up, essentially. So he, and of course, sin has consequences, right? You rob a bank, you go to jail. That's simple. And they, they had messed up. 
And yet, if we look at the behavior of Eli and his sons, how do we contrast that with the child Samuel? It says, verse 18, it says, but Samuel was ministering before the Lord. Verse 21, Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. And in verse 26, the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. So what we can see here is the, the decline of the house of Eli and the rise of Samuel. Samuel was honoring God. Therefore, God was honoring Samuel. The house of Eli were behaving despicably and therefore they were disdained. So Samuel was going up, the house of Eli was going down. And the second point is God's purpose will prevail. Verse 35 here, the Lord says, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do what is according to my heart and mind. See, God's purpose here was to have somebody worthy in place who was going to anoint the king of Israel. David, from whom the Messiah would come. From David's line, the Messiah, Jesus, would come. So who's going to anoint that king? You can't just have anyone anointing the king. It's got to be someone worthy. It's got to be someone who honours God, someone who obeys God. The sad thing is, this was originally designed to be from the house of Eli, but they, they, they disinherited their position in themselves through their sin, through their rejection of the Lord's commands. Therefore, God had to replace them and get someone who was going to be worthy of that position. You know, I think about if, let's imagine that it had been Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, who had gone on to anoint the future king. We know later on that Samuel, as he, when he grows up, he's so in tune with God and he hears so clearly from the Lord. He's got such discernment, such wisdom, such intimacy with God that when he sees the sons of Jesse and the more obvious sons, he would think, oh yeah, he looks like a king, he's tall and so forth. Hophni and Phinehas probably would say, yeah, he'll do, he'll be the king. But Samuel, he was like, no, it's none of these. But when he saw the shepherd boy, he was like, yeah, he's the one. How could he have known that unless God had revealed that to him so clearly? That God had this all lined up. It was going to have to be somebody who had that perception and that closeness with God who would know what God's plan was. And that was Samuel. You know, God's plan is going to prevail. If you've got a football team playing a match, so you've got a couple of players who aren't performing, what does the manager do? Takes them off, puts the substitutes on, the game carries on, the match has to be won. You can be called... But if you don't fulfill the purpose God's called you for, God's purpose is, is, is going to prevail. As we know, in this church, we have this microphone here. And we do welcome contributions. If you've got something that you feel God's brought on your heart, something that's going to encourage the church, uplift the church, we always say, come up, run it by whoever the anchor is on the day, and come and share it. Years ago, when, when this church was in a different building... I remember I was sat in the, towards the back and I felt God had put on my heart something to share at the microphone. 
I was a bit tired. I was embarrassed, frankly. I didn't want to get out of my, out of my seat and go forward. And I said, I remember God putting this on my heart. He says, go and, go and say this at the microphone. I said, no. To my shame, I said, no, Lord, I'm not doing it. I don't want to do that. Kind of saying, go, go. No, God, I'm tired. I'm embarrassed. I don't want to go to the front. I'm not doing it. I said, God, if that's really your word and you want the church to hear it, someone else will go and share it. It's exactly what I said to the Lord. As soon as I'd, I'd said that, a number of you here will remember Gary E. Great, great guy who used to be in the church. He now lives overseas. As soon as I'd finished saying that, Gary E. went up to the microphone and said word for word exactly what I felt I was meant to go and say. I learned a lesson. God's purpose was going to prevail. He had wanted me to say that, and I said, no, it doesn't matter. The word got out anyway. And I realised, wow, I'd, I'd, um, by disobeying and refusing to do what I knew God had wanted me to do, I kind of had, I'd lost that moment of, I, I suppose, that kind of that closeness of, yeah, God, you tell me to do something and I've obeyed you. And there's, there's a heart-to-heart moment there when you come, that comes from when you've responded in the way God wanted you to respond. So God's purpose is going to prevail. And, you know, his plans for us are always good. His purposes are always good. But if we think about Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, and how they were abusing their power, we've talked a little bit about their attitude, their arrogance, their, their disregard for the things of God. What about the people who were coming to the temple? How do you think they felt about having priests like that, who they had to submit to, to, get their, to take their offerings to? They were, could you imagine? It's like, oh, no, I've got to go to the temple today. I've got these, these people there who were just awful. They are just unfair. They're dishonest, and they're just malicious, and they're just horrible, horrible people to deal with. They are not doing the things that we know they should be doing. You know, have you ever been trapped in a situation which isn't a million miles from that? In the sense of where you work, do you have bosses who are unfair? And you think, you go into work every day, you think, oh Lord, how am I going to get through the day? How am I going to get through this? These bosses are coming down on me like a ton of bricks and I've, I've, done very, I've done nothing wrong as far as I can see or very little wrong. Crikey, I've been through that. I'm sure a number of us here, have, we can all relate to what it's like to have to submit to somebody who we think is being unfair or unreasonable. Again, I, years ago I had a, another job, not a family business this time, at a, at a, at a big firm, and we, there was this, this boss who was in charge of our department, and everyone was scared of her. It's like she would walk down the corridor, people would, would avoid her, people would say, oh, we've got, people would say, oh, we're trying to find another job, I can't, I can't work with this person anymore. And, and, and you'd hear all these stories. Now, I always got on quite well with her. I mean, I'm, those of you who know me, I'm quite chilled, I never really had a problem with her. And, and then, until one day, I came back from my tea break, you know, very, very strict, you know, you can't, you know, you go, you go to break at, 11.37 or whatever random time it was and you come back at 12.22 or whatever. 
I'd come back from my break, my tea break, about two minutes late one day. That a big deal? Well, it was for her. So, but rather than just kind of have a word with me, what she had did, done was she had sent an email to my whole department saying, because Darren was late, she named me, because Darren was late by two minutes today, well, she didn't say two minutes, she goes, because Darren was late from his tea break, everyone in the department is going to lose 10 minutes off their lunch break for the next week. Oh, yeah. I saw the email and I thought, what? Can you even, is that, is that even allowed? Can you even do that? So I went to see her. I said, look, what's this? This is, you know, yeah, I don't mind being, losing bits of my break. It's my, you know, my mistake. But everyone else? Nope. Everyone's going to, going to, because of you. I thought, okay, fine. Obviously trying to get people to um, be unpleasant to me, let's say. But it didn't work, you know. Um, what she hadn't realised was that through being such a tyrant, in a way, through being so unfair and, so, and, and abusing the position, quite frankly, in many ways, um, I mean, bearing in mind, this, this particular boss would go and have breaks whenever they wanted, and, oh, yeah, it was all, you know, do as I say, not as I do, type thing. Um, the, the, the culture that had been fostered there was one of, of closeness and togetherness. And actually, everybody was kind of very supportive and said, no, we know it's not your fault. We know it's their fault. And so... But it was a tricky season, and I remember going to work every day and having to praise God in my car, driving, driving to work, singing praises to God, because otherwise I thought, how am I going to get through this? And not just that job, but subsequent jobs, where there's been different, various issues, whereby the only way I knew I was going to get through was by praising God, which comes back down to point one. If you honour God, God, he'll honour you. So... It's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to say, right, I'm going to slack off now. I'm not going to do my work properly or I'm going to cut corners here and there or I'm going to go sick or absent or whatever. But I don't believe that's honouring to God. I think you just keep doing what you're supposed to do. Keep your head down. Trust God with it. Praise God. Say, Lord, I can't cope with this, but you can. And I know you're in control. I know your plans for me are good. Jeremiah 29, 11. If we trust that, you know, the plans that the Lord has for us are good. Plans to prosper us, not to harm us, to give us a future and a hope. But it's hard to connect with that when you're in the season where you feel that you are being treated harshly and unfairly. We have to, to just trust that at the right time, God will intervene. I mean, for, the, for the, the Israelites here, of course, the prophecy here was that Hophni and Phinehas were going to be killed on the same day. And later on in the story, we find that that happens um, in the following battle. And, then how, and Eli himself dies when he hears that the Ark of the Covenant has been captured by the Philistines. Later on, as you, as you go on uh, into the book of Samuel. So God, so God will intervene at the right time. And, but in, the, but in, the, in that waiting time, you could be living in a season of, of fear. Oh, I'm scared of this, this situation. I don't know how to handle it. I'm always encouraged by David, so many of the Psalms of David. But in particular, when I was putting, thinking about this, it was Psalm 27, you know, the Lord is the strength of my life. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? I'm still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And when David says, wait, take heart and wait for the Lord. Take heart and wait for the Lord. And I believe the way that we take heart is by seeking God, is by continuing to honour him, continuing to praise him. I just want to invite uh, the band up.
in closing. And just want to, as we, as we reflect on the difficulty of being under that authority, I just wonder if there's anybody here who is in a season like that. It may not just be at work. It could be in a, in a family situation, a family circumstance. You know, where we see Eli saw his sons behaving in a despicable way and he didn't do anything about it. What's our response when we see evil happening around us and we're in a position where we can call it out and we don't? Are we in a situation like that? Or are we in a situation where we are under the abuse of someone else's authority? Could be at at work, could be in a family, it could even be in churches. Could even be sometimes you can feel you're being treated unfairly. It could be anywhere. Just take a moment to think about that because I think what would be good is I sense that we have a real opportunity as we're discussing these things is to just bring them all before God, whatever's in our heart. We've heard earlier around that kind of sense of being in a desert or being disappointed. Is anybody feeling that like they're in a bit of a wilderness that they're thinking, God, where, where is the, the good plan you have for me that your word talks about? God, where is, where is that, that good purpose? I don't see it. I don't feel it. I'm feeling down. I don't know how much longer I can get through this monotony or this difficulty. I think what would be really cool is um, if we could just pray for each other. If we could just gather where you are. I know it's, some of these things are difficult to talk about, but this is a safe space. You know, we're not here to judge or condemn. We're here just to love each other and just to support each other and just to bring our needs before God. So as the band just plays whatever the, whatever's on their heart to play, um, it would just be great if we could just do that, just knowing that God's plans are good and his purposes will prevail. Honour God and you will be honoured.